It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Auburn Podcast. Zach Blackerby here with you. Painter Sharpless of ESPN 106.7, of course, manning the controls today. We got a lot of audio cut up from um, Gus Malzahn's presser yesterday, the first presser following Auburn's first day in pads. Yeah, some some news. I'm not going to say that it's all riveting. I think Auburn fans expect he's going to be guarded, but he has been slightly different with his approach to the media. We mentioned this the other day when we got close to 40 minutes of of viewing time in front of – you know, in front of his team. And, uh, you know, he's obviously not going to tip his hand too much. But I think if you read between the lines, we'll find some things useful here. All right. Yeah. So I know you went through the presser and cut up a bunch of audio. What uh, what are you going to play for us first? Kind of give us a quick preview of what we're talking about. Uh, I want to I want to start with the Schwartz stuff just because that was kind of news earlier in the week. And then I want to turn after that and focus on some of what he talked about or at least alluded to with the upcoming scrimmage. You know, as far as the injuries uh, situation is concerned, Anthony Schwartz did have a procedure uh, on his hand. Um, we'll see exactly when his return is. I'm not ready to say when it's going to be. Um, you know, first game, we'll see. As it gets closer, I'll give you updates um, as it goes with that. K.J. Britt, uh, we held him out of practice. Nothing major at all. He'll be back uh, probably for the scrimmage of the day after that. But, uh you know, I'd say overall, uh, you know, I like I like where our team's energy is, and uh, it's been we strained them. Uh, it's been hot, and that's good, and uh, and it's been physical, and, and that's been by design too. But like I said, after five days, now we can catch our breath, take a break, and um, and get ready for our first scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, two uh, two important guys. Uh, Anthony Schwartz was really the big story going into this week with with reports and news coming out of Auburn with him getting surgery on his hand. It, it seems like it's the best-case scenario given the the current circumstances. Malzahn kind of talking positively as, as they get closer to the first game kind of keep us updated. I don't think there's any chance he plays in the first game. Not only, like, maybe if he's healthy, but I don't know how much of an asset he is just because he's not going to be in a... I don't, I don't think he's going to be in, in season-caliber shape at that point, but we'll see. I, I've been wrong before. Yeah, you know, I, I said, I think it was just yesterday on the podcast that I had been told eight weeks. I think six is probably pretty likely. Maybe he's dressed out, but I just don't know if it's worth the risk. you got a guy like Eli Stove who yeah. can do a lot of the same things. I get it. That elite speed does, and you pointed this out a few times. We've talked about this, Zach. Even if the ball's not in Schwartz's hands, when he's on the field— he has to be accounted for. So that in itself is valuable. But I I think in the grand scheme of things, rushing him back from an injury, never a good decision. And this coaching staff has always been good about making sure guys are healthy. I will give them that they are not. And and, and that's how it should be. And on yeah. top of it, we talked about, you know, Schwartz isn't necessarily not going to know the playbook or the plays. Like he came in late last year and still got to play a lot as a true freshman. Yeah. So that part I'm fine with. He's going to be comfortable with the offense. I am curious, though, about rhythm, timing, the flow, feeling natural because he wasn't there in the spring. He's going to miss most of fall camp, you know, so we'll see. I I wonder 
if he doesn't really hit his groove with whoever the starting quarterback is until later in the season. Yeah, and is it possible that he does come back and he just has a smaller role and that role gets bigger over the course of the season? Of course, 100%. The other player mentioned by Malzahn in that actuality just then, which when I say actuality, no one else knows what we're talking about. So the, the sound bite that you just played. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, uh, KJ Britt, Gus Malzahn, please say his full name. Respect your players. KJ Downhill Britt. Downhill, thank you. I tweeted at Justin Ferguson and Josh Vitale, <laughs> both friends of the show, both friends of the podcast. And neither of them responded back, but they would kind of tweeted out notes. And I was saying, please say his full name. And we had other listeners tweet at us. That's right. Get it right. If you're going to throw out his name, throw in the downhill. And now we've got apparently a quick feat. Quick feet and downhill. So a lot of uh, energy and time being put into these nicknames. Yeah, Christian, quick feet, tut. I'm cool with it. But yeah, obviously he's going to be a big part of what the defense does. He's kind of being looked at as the key linebacker. And you know, Justin talked about that uh, yesterday on the lunch break when I hopped on with you guys for a few minutes. So that's a, that's a big part. And it seems like that kind of situation is if the game was tomorrow, he'd be playing in it. They're just kind of being precautious. So can't blame them for that. Where are we headed next? All right, let's go just a very short clip, and then we'll piggyback off of that with a little bit longer of a statement from Coach Malzahn. Kind of similar, though, as he discusses the upcoming scrimmages. You know, we have a day off coming up tomorrow. Get our guys, uh, you know, refreshed, and then we'll have a good scrimmage at the stadium in two days, and that'll give us some good information, really. So he, you know, I think one thing that that is important to note here is that oftentimes Coach Malzahn and his staff have generally started leaning towards a player after the first scrimmage. And and that's generally been the case as he's made a lot of these decisions in the fall, at least while he's been at Auburn. Now, there was at least one exception when Cam Newton got the job in the spring. However, other than that, I think a lot of his quarterback battles, and, and, and it would be worth checking if anyone remembers, there may have been another one that I'm not thinking about where a guy won the job in the spring. Like Jarrett Stidham, for instance, like obviously he didn't have to prove anything yeah. going into last season. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Jeremy may have had it. Jeremy yeah. may have been the name starter. That, okay, uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But once again, that's a di- kind of a different situation. But uh, yeah, so the scrimmage tomorrow, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, so... Yeah, you're right, though, as far as him typically leaning towards a player after after the first scrimmage. And, you know, I've never coached college football, but I imagine going into it, you kind of assume how things are going to go. You kind of assume that certain guys are going to step up, certain guys in certain positions are going to play better than other guys at their positions because you've recruited these guys, you've helped develop these guys, you've spent a lot of time with these guys, you know what they're capable of, and you kind of get the, the hint of who's going to step up in these situations. Now, I think the... The benefit to these scrimmages is there's going to be some guys that play better than they practice. You know, there's just something inside of them that when the lights turn on, and even though this isn't really that, but it's a simulation of that, that they're going to outperform what they've done on the practice field. And I think that's why you have these kinds of things. Yeah, a word choice that Malzahn used, I think, more than once was by design. And I think that's intentional. I think that when you're going into a scrimmage like this, you have a set of expectations of not only what you want to see, but I imagine you also have some things. It's like, all right, I I not only want to see this, I expect to see it. And if it doesn't happen, where do we go from here? And if it does happen, is it confirming my my confidences? You're listening to the Locked On Auburn podcast. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to locked on college basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. 
So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, Painter, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that the next the next audio bit would be a little bit longer. What, what's he talking about? More about that that uh, upcoming first scrimmage. Yeah, it's going to be a simple scrimmage. I mean, we're going to be base defense, base offense, and you know, be a evaluation type deal. Um, it's always uh, good to get our older guys some some good quality reps, um, give our twos some some good quality reps, trying to develop that depth, and then uh, then our freshmen too. You know, it'll be special teams, partly special teams. We'll really focus on punt and punt return. We'll do some field goal, field goal block, um, and then really be just base offense, base defense. Um, you know, with our fundamentals, really for evaluation, see what see what our guys can do, and um, usually the first scrimmage fall camp, it gives you a, a lot of information. So pretty straightforward scrimmage, uh, stuff that they've done in the past. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, the big story going into the scrimmage and coming out of the scrimmage is going to be quarterbacks, 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 and you don't have to listen to this to know that, right? You're, in fact, you're probably listening to the show hoping that we have some sort of inside information and outside of just hearing good things about Joey Gatewood. That's, that's really all we've got. But you look at it, and it just seems like all the starters everywhere else are pretty much solidified. You know, he didn't really mention a whole lot of competition there. He just said we're getting reps for our older guys because he knows which older guys are starting. You know what I mean? That's why I assume he's saying that. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned the quarterbacks because we're going to move right into that now. The two quarterbacks, will they be live? No, no, no. Our quarterbacks won't be live. They'll, uh, they'll have an orange jersey on and we'll have the whistle on. You keep them uh, <clears throat> on contact for all of preseason this year? Yes, yeah, yeah. Our, our, our quarterbacks will not be live until we play the first game. Is that because you just got a pretty good idea of what Yeah, when the spring, you know, like I said, we had that big scrimmage and we let them go live. There's not a whole lot of programs these, this day and time that let the quarterbacks go live, but I felt like it was real important with what we had, especially the, being the freshman um, and you know it really we learned a lot and I think it was really good for them too you know to feel what it feels like to get tackled in college football first off shout out to Brandon Marcello of for asking that question because it's important uh, is it more important in the Auburn fan base and other fan bases yeah I, I think so if, you know uh, three or four years ago really ever since the Jeremy Johnson saga began at Auburn Auburn fans have really been kind of fixated on are the scrimmages going to involve the quarterbacks getting hit or not? And pretty much nine times out of ten, all of them have been, no, you're going to protect your quarterback. And then that's kind of that, that those questions have spread to other fan bases and other coaches are like, no, you know, our quarterbacks aren't going to go live because we've seen what happens when you get a hurt quarterback. Right. It, it's not good uh, w- with any starter, but but especially your quarterback. So. Uh, you know, I, I think Malzahn's doing the right thing as far as seeing those guys. You know, is it risky with two guys that you don't know? They did it in the spring, and he mentioned that. And I think that's important yeah. is that you got to see some of that. I, I understand the idea of wanting to see more. Yeah, it's like based off of one time, it's kind of. But I think at this point, this close to the season, yeah, I imagine they have a lot of information, and there's probably some things that you know those guys can do with their feet that they won't be able to show off. But I imagine the coaching staff has a good idea by now of what that is. Now, to be fair, I think subconsciously it is going to affect the way those guys play a little bit because if you know you're you're not as likely to scramble downfield if you're Joey Gatewood or if you know if you're Bo Nix, you're not as likely to run around in the pocket because a play can be blown dead a little easier, it may impact you. You know, it's it's almost 
like, I think, wearing ankle weights a little bit because it's going to sure. affect some of what you're doing. But in my mind at this <clears> point, having seen it already, having an entire spring and a few weeks left in fall camp, like that to me is not the biggest of concerns. I get why fans want to see it. I get why they would hope coaches would do it. But I tend to fall on the side of the coaches here and protecting the player and making sure that they're they're feeling good heading into the season. Right. And, and I think the two guys that Auburn has competing for that quarterback spot right now, I think both of them are wired a certain way to where they're going to hold themselves accountable. And I, I just really don't think they're going to be afraid of taking the hit. So, you know, I, I understand why Auburn fans are so scared of the hype being around a quarterback and then oh, it's Jeremy Johnson as soon as the game starts. I don't think physicality was ever Jeremy Johnson's problem. Now, he was not. I, I do. I, I don't think that he was going to ever, for instance, do what Joey Gatewood does by running a lot. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that their games were the same. Now, sure. I, I think more than anything, he struggled, and it's hard to diagnose this because I'm not a doctor and I'm not around, I wasn't around the guy a lot. But he could make a lot of impressive throws. I saw him in high school. He played against my high school, Auburn High, who had Reuben Foster and Rashawn Evans at the time. And he diced them up. And then he did the same thing as a sophomore when Nick Marshall was suspended for a half. And there wasn't a ton of pressure on him in the first half. And he threw for 200 yards. Yeah. like I think the guy was capable physically. Sure. Uh, as far as physicality, though, I, I just... The, the most interesting thing to me about Jeremy Johnson isn't, isn't the collapse and just how the offense didn't really fit with him. To me, it was after he lost the job, Gus wanted to play him so bad that they put him in in these like goal line, you know, quarterback zone type packages on short yardage situations. And like you said, like that's not his game. Like that was so interesting to me because he, he didn't like contact. He didn't like to hit people and he didn't like to get hit. And that's, that's not the biggest deal for a quarterback. I'm not saying that's why he failed, but that is why it's such an interesting that, – that's the weirdest part of all of this to me. Yeah, and, and like I can't diagnose whether or not he was a confident player or not. Like We just don't know that. But he certainly never – for a guy that had flashes of being very much there physically with being able to make the throws and being able to do a lot of, of what the, the coaches asked when there wasn't a lot of pressure on him – Something seemed to change yeah. in between him being the backup without with, with the expectations and hope that he would be good versus, okay, now it's time to do this and to lead the team. You're listening to the Locked On Auburn Podcast. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Painter, we got any more audio to play from yesterday's press or do we breeze through it all? Just about a 10-second clip of some of what they spent their most recent practice on. And, And this has been an issue, a contention point at times for Auburn as they have struggled to finish drives under Coach Malzahn, even in some years where they had really good offenses. It was a red zone day. We really focused really on the plus 25 offensively and defensively. I thought there were some good things really uh, on both sides of the football. So very brief. And to be fair, unless I'm mistaken, Zach, Auburn has, I think it's a bit of a misconception. Auburn has a good conversion rate in the red zone, but there have been big moments in big games where they had to settle for field goals. 
Like they're not a bad team in the red zone. I think that's a misconception. But right. one, for instance, that comes to mind that will probably come to mind for a lot of Auburn fans was the the Iron Bowl in 2014, where Auburn was inside the red zone. I want to say it was five times mm-hmm. and kicked five field goals, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And so you're getting points, but finishing those drives, like if you if you put up 500 yards of offense against a Nick Saban led defense and still lose by 11 points, and you scored 40 points. You know, two of those field goals turning into touchdowns obviously changes the entire dynamic of the game. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. So can they close drives consistently? Red zone's important. I mean, you've seen teams win and lose in very big stages for not being able to close. And, I mean, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned Auburn lighting up an Alabama defense, but, I mean, there was in the 2014 Iron Bowl, I believe to close out the first half, they, they couldn't get in, you know, and I think time was also an issue there. And that game develops differently if they're able to score a touchdown. And, you know, there's, there's millions of cases of that. So yeah, that, that's clearly a, a, an important part of what offenses need to focus on and what offenses need to do. So especially with a young quarterback, you know, we can't hype on that enough as far as, you know, whoever wins the job, there's going to be growing pains, no matter how good they are, no matter how, no matter how special they are. I think there will be less growing pains with one option opposed to the other. But, Painter, I, I think I think we're about three days out from knowing the next starting quarterback at Auburn. I, I think we find out this weekend. Wow. I'm, I'm, and I think it's possible because of the way things have gone in the past. But I, I kind of feel like he may wait closer to another week. Like it might be sometime middle of next week I, I, t- I do think it's absolutely plausible they go ahead and name it so that moving forward that guy just gets the bulk of the reps I also think you will see both quarterbacks in the opener and then I think you will see both quarterbacks in the Kent State and Tulane games so you think we see both in the opener I think it's very very likely however I think if Joey wins it I have a hard time seeing why Bo Nix would go in there and I can see why Auburn fans are like just pick one you know I mean because that Clemson game is going to be fresh on everyone's mind. It's like, that, make, make a decision. Of, yeah, I, I don't think he'll, I think he will go out of his way to make sure that doesn't happen. We'll see. And then part of it is, okay, you know, how fair do they want to be to Bo? But it's like, he's a true freshman. At what point do you owe him something? Right. And I think the schedule does set up favorably for them to continue to work with that. Mm-hmm over the first month of the college football season, as long as they can get that win in the Oregon game, then you've got essentially three weeks to prepare and make sure you've made the right decision. And and that's not the same scenario as what Clemson did last year, but it is familiar to the idea that they waited until about a quarter of the way through the season before they decided, all right, Trevor Lawrence, the young guy, not only has the most upside, but we think is the better player. And I mean, again, I think Trevor Lawrence is in a category of his own, so it's kind of dangerous to try to compare anyone else, even as someone as talented as Bo next to him. But maybe even just waiting a month could change that decision. Do you think that would happen, though, Gus? I, not Gus. Zach, do you think that would happen, like that they would go with Joey initially, and then a month into the season, it wouldn't be Joey? I think Joey transfers if that's the case. I, I don't think Joey's at Auburn moving forward if that's the case. Because I'm thinking about the way things shook out for Kelly Bryant and like being the guy, but kind of rotating. And and then, you know, was he I guess they never really named it either. Like, I think that's going to be a difference in this scenario than what it was with Clemson. It was an open battle throughout the first few weeks. 
And right. we've got this sense like there's going to be a guy named the starter by the Oregon game. And maybe what I'm playing with is semantics. But my main point is, is there a chance that by week four, there's a different quarterback who starts the rest of the season? I don't think so. I mean, unless injury or something like right. that. But I, I just I don't think three games is enough. I mean, if you're really picking a guy. Yeah. And you had all of spring and all of fall. It's like then you you want somebody's first game to be against A and M, and I know you said specifically four or whatever, but like maybe let's extend it to seven or eight. It's just I, I I'm trying to envision what that season looks like if that's the case because I, I'm thinking if it's that bad, Auburn's got several losses, you know, seven or eight weeks into the season, and if that's the case where you have to pull your guy. I don't know if Gus is the head coach anymore. Yeah, and because I think what happened again, going back to the example at Clemson, like there wasn't, they weren't going into Week One trying to name a starter. Yeah. They were, they were open to the idea of letting it stretch out. And I think Auburn would prefer not to have that happen. And right. so the scenarios aren't the same. Like it would feel like you're benching a guy to start another. I guess in the way Auburn seems to be approaching it. So yeah, I, I mean, it would have to be performance based, right? And I, I just don't think. I don't think if they're pulling a guy because of performance-based reasons, I, I just six or seven weeks into it, if they're having to pull them, it's because they've lost to Oregon, it's because they've lost to LSU, it's because they've lost to Texas A&M, and it may be too late at that point. Um, I'd be curious to know what folks listening think. If they think Gus will end up at least letting whoever doesn't win the job in fall camp play in that Oregon game, and then I certainly expect that that will be the case in that Tulane and Kent State game. Like, I, I would imagine both guys get time and opportunities in, in paycheck games. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the case. I think that's definitely the case. It, what's going to be interesting is outside of the four games, is Bo, I'm assuming Bo does not start, but or whoever is not the starter, do they play in more than four games? Because I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch. And You'd have to assume no, right? Like, they're going to want to offset one of those guys by a year and really... I think more than anything, you think about it with with Bo being the younger guy in, in that scenario, um, because if you offset Joey by a year, then they're kind of in the same place. Yeah. So like, yeah. So ne- next year, Joey would be a redshirt freshman, and Bo would be a redshirt, or I'm sorry, Joey would be a redshirt sophomore next year. And so if he was that good, he could leave after that season. So then Bo could start as a redshirt sophomore. So uh, we'll see. And those are all just assuming that these guys are good enough and Joey's good enough to go to the next level and, right. and all that. But, you know, if, if you're Bo and you're, you know, a lot of people are really worried about whoever doesn't win the job transferring. I, I think if Joey wins, Bo is less likely to move on. And if Bo wins, I think Joey is kind of likely to move on. I haven't been told that yeah. or anything. It's just kind of my gut feeling. Well, on it, this. it makes sense in terms of your eligibility, because if you're Bo and you do take the red shirt, then you've got some time to, to still be the starter. Right. Yeah. If you're Joey and then you've already used your red shirt, I don't see that situation changing. Uh, you know, maybe you look at it the way Jalen Hurts was last year for a season. But then again, that resulted in Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and you know, you've mentioned Clemson and Alabama, and those are the two recent examples mm-hmm. of, but like n- n- these guys aren't Tua and these guys aren't Lawrence. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't think that's who Bo is. I think Bo can be good, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, these are some of the best college quarterbacks to ever play that we're talking about. And it's just, I don't think we can say that Bo is that. Yeah. I mean, we know that they will both be near the top of the first round. 
when they go to the draft. Tua this yeah. year and Trevor next year. Bo, I'm sure Auburn fans hope that happens, but it's we haven't seen him play yet. Like even when Tua was just playing in garbage time behind Jalen, he was still lighting it up. And it was mm-hmm. there was that question all year of like, is it time to make the switch? Especially when it appeared that Jalen Hurts was very one dimensional and while he never well, rarely turned the ball over he was really hesitant to make throws downfield, and you were watching Tua going, he's not. I think both of these quarterbacks that Auburn have on campus are better than Jalen Hurts. I'll be curious to see that for Joey. I have a lot of optimism for both. I, I, I think it's so early. I'm, I'm hesitant to really say. I, I do feel like Bo's ceiling is so high because of how polished it is my belief he is as a passer. But in the college game, we've seen some quarterbacks who were good or even fine pastors, Nick Marshall, be incredible quarterbacks with Gus Malzahn. Now, if you're looking at what we were just talking about a moment ago with being top you know, draft picks, that probably doesn't work out as well for Joey. But it's also early in his career. He's played all of a few snaps in the Music City Bowl, and we haven't really seen him throw much. So I think it's also fair to wait and see what his throwing abilities are going into this year. Yeah, I think Joey's going to be a surprise people with his arm. I really do. I really do. Uh, just kind of a, a quick tweet that I saw earlier today. Friend of the show, Phil Steele, tweeted out, Oregon Ducks starting flanker Brendan Schuffler, Schuler, Brendan Schuler, excuse me, suffers foot injury out six to eight weeks. And uh, then Pete Thamel quote tweeted that saying, this is big news. Ducks enter Auburn game with lack of experience and dynamicism at wide receiver as two huge issues. So that could be big for Auburn, big for uh, big for their defense. Doesn't it feel interesting? I think this year Auburn fans are really hesitant to feel overly confident, but Auburn fans can't help but feel confident looking at the roster. And there was a ton of optimism heading into that game last year, I, I thought, against Washington and maybe the perception of Washington was a lot more solidified with Chris Peterson. I think Washington was a better team than Oregon. Yeah, this year. and I think that's part of it too. But I get the sense of a push pull effect with Auburn fans where they're going, you know, don't want to get too excited, but looking at the roster, don't see a lot of holes. Yeah, I, I don't think Auburn fans pause is because of the roster. I think it's because of their thoughts on the head coach and just coaching in general. And then you look at the schedule, which that's more my the issue. schedule is schedule is like yeah. I don't know how many people could do that. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff, and uh, we'll kind of be previewing slash talking about the scrimmage on the show tomorrow. Painter, where can people find you and hear you? 11 to 1, the lunch break on ESPN 106.7. If you're not local to Auburn, Opelika, check it out at ESPNAU.com or with the ESPN 106.7 app. Just like this show, we have a podcast version as well. And I'm on Twitter at Paint Sharpless. Perfect. I'm on Twitter at Z Blackerby. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Auburn. This has been another... Wow, this has been another edition of the Locked On Auburn podcast. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.